What if uh, taking God seriously was a real thing? Do you, do you understand what I mean? We, we talk about, well, we're going to take him seriously, but then we don't really ever get changed. But what if taking God seriously or at his word was a real thing? We were studying in uh, Sunday school this morning um, from 1 John that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say that we're the light, but we continue to live the way we used to live, that's not true. So, what if taking God seriously was a real thing? I want to say, uh, very specifically, as we get into the text this morning, um, actually, it, that what if God doesn't actually reveal himself to casual inquiries? What if you go, well, I'd just like to know something about him. I don't really want to know him. I just want to know some data. Well, you can know data about God, but maybe you don't get to know him that way. Maybe he doesn't enter into, well, you know, I'm just in it for the trivial pursuit sort of stuff. So before I get into the reading today, I want to say that we're coming to the end of one of the Toledot structures. If, if uh, you remember when we started this Genesis thing, they came fairly rapidly, and the Toledot is in, this is the record of the generations of this person, and they do all that, and we're coming right to the end of one. Right now, this is the very last time. But before we get there, Jacob is going to get renamed again. Because the first time took, right? No, because the first time didn't really take. Do you remember that Jacob wrestled with God and he was overcome and God says, no, you're not going to be Jacob anymore. You're going to be Israel. And you're going to come into the land in the right way. And he's going to come into the land. And the very next thing he did was he, um, well, the very next thing was Shechem, where his kids wiped out of town for, for their bad behaviors and things like this. So that's where we're at. I just, I just need us to know this. And, then, and, and so just as we're at this, this is Jacob to his sons. You've ruined me. You've made my name a stink among the people of this land. What does this have to do with taking God seriously? You know, if he changes you, he actually wants you to be different than you used to be. Yeah? But, but they came into the land just exactly the way they were, and they went and they wiped out the town of Shechem. We read that last year, I think. Last week, thank you, by the way, for the appropriate gasp when I read that they had killed all the people on the third day. But you've made me stink among the people of all this land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and we are so few that they will join forces and crush us. I will be ruined and my entire household will be wiped out. And then they say, but why should we let him treat our sister like a prostitute? And they retorted angrily. Right? There's enough ick to go around here. And then God said to Jacob, 
Get ready to move to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Now remember that this is God saying, remember when you fled before and you built a little altar to the God you met there? I'm going to take you over there and you're going to build an altar and I'm going to tell you who I really am so that you'll get to know me better. We're not going to be casual about this anymore. Beth-el, by the way, means house of God. So remember, build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from Esau. So Jacob told everyone in his household, this is, take this seriously, get rid of all your pagan idols. Purify yourselves and put on clean clothing. We are now going to Bethel where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. By the way, I'm in distress again. I smell bad to all my neighbors. He has been with me wherever I go. So they came, gave Jacob all their pagan idols and earrings, and they buried them there under the great tree near Shechem. And as they set out, a terror from God spread over all the people of the town in the area so that no one attacked Jacob's family. Eventually, Jacob and his household arrived at Luz, also now Bethel and Canaan, Jacob built an altar there and named the place El Bethel, which means God of Bethel, the God of the house of God. Because God had appeared to him there when he was fleeing from his brother. Soon after this, Rebekah's old nurse, Deborah, died. She was buried beneath the oak tree in the valley below Bethel, which since the tree has been called Alan Bakuth, which means the oak of weeping, now, now that Jacob had returned from Padam Aram, God appeared to him again at Bethel, and God blessed him, saying, Your name is Jacob, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. From now on, your name will be Israel. So God renamed him Israel. Then God said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply You'll become a great nation, even many nations. Kings will be, will be among your descendants. Does that sound familiar to you? I will bless you, go forth and multiply. And... What if we're going to take God seriously when he says he wants us to be different, but the first time we sort of meet him, we sort of take it casually? And then we sort of blow it. Has anybody sort of taken God's promises casually and then blown it and thought themselves disqualified? Okay. Is that you? Is it me? Right? And if it were up to me, I would be completely disqualified. It would be sort of like this thing. This is the closest to being musical I've ever been. <laughs> now, Linda will recognize that that means that I've had bell training, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's bell training. Yeah, that was the struggle for that teacher. <laughs> that previous bell training. But but we keep doing it and disqualifying ourselves when we're don't take him seriously and we don't get changed the way we're supposed to get changed. We come in and we think, well, now that God saved me, I have to do my own thing and make my own name great. But that's not what he's after. 
When you're his, you represent him and his reputation, and he will make his name great. So even Jacob is, has got it all sort of wrong here when he says, they're going to form up and kill me because I smell in their noses, right? What does it mean to smell in somebody's nose? Yeah, it made me stink. It's about reputation, isn't it? This is, seems to be a conversation I've been having with several people recently. It's, it's like, what happens when you're a Christian and some of your behaviors aren't Christian? What does it do to the people around you? It confuses them. And then weird statements get made like, I wouldn't want to go to church because there's hypocrites there. Now, I've said this repeatedly. There's hypocrites in the grocery store, and you don't stop going to the grocery store because you need stuff there. there. There's hypocrites here. It's true. Humans are here, and there are likely going to be some problems amongst humans. But just because there's people with problems here doesn't mean you don't need to come and get the solution to the problem, too. That's what we're trying to do, but not casually. Jesus talks about this really um, specifically when he says, no, take up your cross. But if you won't take up your cross, you're not worthy. Right? So what he's talking about is seriously attend to the life change that we're talking about. If you're going to be my person, then be my person. Now, the truth is, is that we might be trying to be his person and doing things that feel like to us that we should be disqualified for. I myself have done several things that I felt like when they happened, I should be disqualified because of it. But he is faithful and just. That's the next piece of in him is light, and there's no darkness at all. He's faithful and just to, re to forgive us our sins and restore us into this thing. So this is what he's doing with Jacob at this spot, right? They've done, essentially in their minds, what would disqualify themselves. And the only way to do this is to pay attention to say, look, God is going to come back and restore you. How else to say this? How else should I say this? This is the first spot where, where God comes back and says to Jacob, be fruitful and multiply. Why does he re-say? Because, because that was the call after Noah, go forth, be fruitful and multiply. They're all supposed to know this. Right? They're all supposed to know, go forth, be fruitful and multiply. What does it mean to be fruitful and multiply? See, we don't really understand even the math of this equation. I want to talk to you about this just casually for a second. You know, in the current uh, world, adults that get married usually have two kids. And, and that means that, by the way, if Karen and I have two kids, which we do, and they each have two kids, that means we have four grands but they have four, four grandparents. And if each of them has two kids, then there's eight great-grandparents for us, but there's eight great-grandparents to produce eight great-grandkids, which means there's not much growth going on. This is just math, right? Are you ready for this? Jacob had 12 kids. And if Jacob's kids have 12 kids, how many grandkids? 
144. You have 144 kids, have 12 kids. How many great grandkids? Oh, come on. 1726. No, I looked it up before I did. <laughs> Casually. But 1,726 kids in the next generation from 8 to 17. Do it again. Do you know how many? It's over 20,000. That, by the way, would take Jacob and his wives from, from, from a little tiny house through to the size of cattle to half the county of Stevens County in four generations. Be fruitful and multiply. Do you understand what I mean by taking this casually? If we think, oh, we've, we've just, we've done what God asked us to do, and then we just kind of go about some of our business. I want to make sure you understand what it means to be God's person. I don't want you to take half measures. I don't want you to be casual about it, that he, he literally, I think, resists the casualness of it. That if we come about and we go, well, I'm going to be Jesus' person on Sunday, but the other six days I'm not going to do anything with. Then why would anybody take your Sunday seriously? Am I right? <laughs> But let's say you've been doing that for 40 years. And for, for those 40 years, you were raising 12 kids with a Sunday relationship with God, but not a Monday through Saturday relationship with God. And then you got a message from God that you should go back to your homeland and reclaim your birthright. And you take them into the land, and the very next thing they do is they make a stink out of you from your neighbors because they were only acting the way that they've seen you because they didn't take your faith seriously and the reason I'm getting this from this thing is this is Jacob about to be renamed Israel again and, and he's supposed to get rid of the idols amongst him wait, are the people of God supposed to have idols in their possession at the time when they come in and like, no, but they do. Who brought them? Rachel. She stole them from her dad. She brought them with her. But Jacob, knowing this, didn't deal with it. I don't know. So what are, how do we do this so casually in our own lives and not just make fun of Jacob? Because it is easy to make fun of Jacob. He makes himself easy to make fun of. Right? The way he lives this good. Well, everybody could see that coming. How do we do it? I don't know. Maybe we think that politics will save our lives. Now, now we're adults, or I mean, you're adults. You might not be, but you are. <laughs> How long have you been around watching politics? Long enough? Does it ever solve your problem? So maybe we should stop looking to it for solutions. Right? You've just seen that, right? It just doesn't work. So politics, I'm not just talking about politics of our nation. 
I'm talking about playing politics at work amongst your, your coworkers. Does that work? I mean, it might work for a short season, but it doesn't work for very long, does it? So that can kind of be an idol. What about other salvation systems? You know, I really like Jesus, but I, I really think we ought to listen to Buddha a little bit. Now, I've talked about Buddhism light as being the American thing in here, and I just need to make sure you know that Buddhism doesn't allow you to do this other system. What about any other system? I don't know. I'm a bit of a nut about this. What's my habit around fortune cookies? Have any of you been at a restaurant, a Chinese restaurant with me? What's my habit around fortune cookies? I don't read them. What? Well, because I'm a nut. But also because I think, and, and I know intellectually that it's not actually reading the stars and telling my fortune. I'm not rubbing a lamp, and I, I understand that, right? Through wishes. But in my heart, it feels like entry-level Satanism. Now, I, I know it's not, okay, but it feels like it, and so I keep myself away from it. Does it bother me when other people... No, it doesn't bother me. People get to do whatever they want, right? It, to the pure, all things are pure. And to me, who's walked through the trash in places where maybe some other people haven't, that's a spot where God has talked to me and he says, no, not you. And so it's not my job to judge anybody else that reads the fortune cookies. Look, I know that they're printed in a factory. There's probably only 24 sayings in the, in the thousands of cookies and you're just going to get the one that you draw on. Sort of sounds like a horoscope to me. There's only 12 things, and you're either going to be that, or, or the one that I really like that, that opened this up to me. You go into the, we used to, the Chinese restaurant I grew up going into had the Chinese horoscope in it, where it had 20 years, and you were the year of this or that. And, and uh, by the way, I always noticed, noticed really early that, the women of 1970, whatever that year, were supposed to marry the, the men from 1960. Right? You were supposed to, your horoscope told you it would be better to marry an older dude. You know, I understand the societal pressure and, and all of those things. Casual observance to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that that's an idol. I'm not saying that. But for me, it feels that way, so I don't. Is God talking to you someplace about where you've been casual with him? Has he? Because in those spots, he resists your casual observance. But what he said to Jacob was, I'm going to rename you again. I'm going to handle this again. But I want you to cleanse yourself and purify yourself. And Jacob does it. This is beautiful, right? He goes through, and actually, this is the first time Jacob actually acts like 
the father of a faith community ought to act. Hey, how about we get rid of those things that don't work for us? Okay. It's the first time he actually does something like this. And as a response, God says, I'm El Shaddai, God Almighty. And then he, re he returns and gives the promises that he's given before to the other patriarchs. And he says to them, you'll be great nation, even many, right? 12 times 12 times 12 times 12, right? Not 2 times 2 times 2. And your descendants will have kings amongst them. And the land I once gave to Abraham and Isaac, yes, I will give it to you and your descendants after you. And then God went up from the place where he had spoken to Jacob, and Jacob built a pillar. A, a, here I lay my Ebenezer moment. I'm going to remember that God acted and moved in my life this way. Let me be casually observant of it. Yeah, you know, some sometime in the past God talked to me, but I'm not going to pay any attention and I'm not going not to remember that. What about the drink offering? I think there's a unique spot in the history of Israel for drink offerings, right? That uh, if you take an animal into the, into, the, into the temple and they sacrifice the altar, on the altar, um, you got to take a portion at a home, and it was kind of the butcher of the community, but it also kept the priests in food, and you got to eat it. But if you take a drink offering and you pour it on something, it's gone. So you don't give that up and say, well, I'm going to, here, I'll, I'll take my hand right on the side of that stone and catch that, and then I'll no, you, you say goodbye to that offering, and you give it up. If you had any, any encouragement from coming to Christ, has he encouraged you? Has he changed your life? Has he made you different? Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? It make me happy, truly happy, by agreeing wholehearted with each other, loving one another, working together, being with one mind. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, right? Or as God says throughout the whole thing to his people, I'm holy, you be holy. I'm different from the other gods. You be different from the other people. Not casually different but actively different. I think that's enough. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as, as, as we get used to hearing your voice in our lives, we ask specifically that you would talk to us and that we would get more used to hearing your voice, and that when 
we were used to hearing your voice, we wouldn't shy away from the discussion you're having with us. And then we would take it completely seriously that, the, that your relationship with us and our relationship with you and our relationship with each other is so important that you ask us to be aware of it and think it through. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your precious name, amen.